Hello, Rantbox TV watchers. I am John Clay. Here we are once again to discuss rather interesting and very, very deep like uh, discussions on, well, the music industry at this current time and grassroots venues. Um, we're subject driven, so as usual, we won't actually introduce the guests. They're going to introduce themselves normally through the conversation and definitely towards the end. If you're watching this full version on YouTube, do press like and press subscribe if you want more of this kind of an upload. Okay, so today's subject is how do bands survive the pandemic? The first subcategory is what constructive actions have you observed from bands during the current time? Who would like to go first? Um, yeah, um, so personally, I mean, especially towards the beginning of the pandemic, I think um, everyone was kind of trying to do their best, you know, to uh, fill in the gap, like the touring gap. So there were a lot of live streams um, and, you know, live sessions, like brands hosting live sessions. Um, um, I actually remember I had told my band members, so oh, maybe they should, we should do a live session, li live stream, sorry, because they're doing that in China. And then like a week after that, yeah, because it started, since it started in China, like a lot of underground DJs and stuff were doing live streams on Chinese social media networks. And then obviously, I mean, when the pandemic hit Europe and North America and the rest of the world, basically, you know, so I think that's kind of, that was a constructive way how to counteract the whole touring thing. But I think there is a bit of like a live stream fatigue at this point. I don't know. That's what I feel. Um, another thing is probably like um, it made artists, artists realize that they have to diversify their income, especially those who are full-time musicians or full-time artists. So I guess like Bandcamp Friday was a really good initiative by Bandcamp, you know, uh, to help artists survive during this time. Um, and another thing that that I also, you know, was like researching and stuff was um, the whole funding thing like by Arts Council England. And I mean, I can talk about the like my home country Malta they also did some restart schemes for artists and that personally helped me because it enabled me you know to supplement kind of my income um, now that touring and stuff like that is off the table eh? so sure. I think yeah you know funding translating stuff to the digital sphere um, it like the pandemic has served as a catalyst for you know driving the whole digital sphere forward so I guess you know we're gonna see the ripple effects in the years to come maybe. yeah for sure sure I've definitely noticed um you guys and Jen have done a lot of stuff which it's almost like you you've taken to what's happening now in a very very quick way I don't know what kind of meetings you had behind the scenes <laughs> quite seamless um, in terms of what you've done regarding to you know getting through these obstacles or rather getting over them anyone else uh, want to comment on that first question what positive actions what constructive things have you seen bands been doing in this time also so a lot of band doing masks actually as new merch <laughs> you know uh, you have to create new merch that people actually need now um, 
because it's probably the only way they can um, they can survive now you know, other than obviously live streams and all these things uh, for bands um, so I know that um, you know, making relevant merch might help I've seen that anyway helping a little bit um, I think that, you know, when I first saw that, I thought that's a really good idea. It is a risk because some people might think that you're actually taking advantage of the situation, but it's not negative to be promoting, you know, safe, protective gear. Um, and especially because I don't think bands can really, truly um, operate in a bubble like they used to. Not, not since last summer. There have been way too many social issues now where bands can easily, if they're not careful, be seen as being completely irrelevant to what's going on for fear of not commenting on stuff, which mm -hmm. arguably, if they read up on, or maybe in research, then they might actually benefit anyway. So yeah, good point about the masks. Um, yeah, anyone else? There's a fine line between like, you know, um, sounding insensitive and, you know, actually do doing your best to pass on a good message. Like I remember that was that there was that whole controversy last year about some celebrities doing a cover of John Lennon's um song imagine yeah i remember and kind of they came across as totally insensitive because mm. in real reality not everyone is in the same boat like the super rich you know living in their fancy houses are still you know enjoying themselves and using their private jets to fly and stuff like that so yeah, i mean <laughs> kim, kim kardashian did do that thing where she got um like she got her and her close um close um circle to like fly off to a private island and pretend things were normal for a while which is a privilege that we don't all get <laughs> but yeah, yeah. um it's, it's quite sad that these kind of things happen i mean the, the only real positive kind of like thing that you take out of that is that once they make a big pr boo-boo like that it opens up the conversations of what these people think of us in terms of how they relate um, to us as people um, and what they can also try to get away of that we are actually no, now more cynical about as a culture. Um, mm. So there is that. Um, Leah, do you have anything to say about that first question? Um, as a first question, it's something that I don't think was really mentioned yet was, um, I, I don't know if I would call it per se, a, I guess it is constructive, but people, I, I know in our case, especially, I mean, I can only speak from my point of view, but sort of realizing the importance for, I guess, for better and for worse of trying to properly utilize um, a band's social media and sort of the, because obviously for us now um, and for everyone, um, it's the main point of contact with um, audiences and prospective audiences where and you know you, you not that it's so much of a thing these days but you do have the odd band that's you know think they're too good for that kind of thing or um yeah and I kind um I feel like being forced into having that as your main um output puts a lot of um makes you put a lot of thought into you know like what am I sharing? And it's obviously there's the compulsion to share more since you're not, um, or less, depending on um, um, different people's social media posting style. Um, but yeah, there's a certain, like there's gonna be a definite change in that. And depending on, again, what kind of person you are, it could either lead to a total cutoff of disengaging with everyone or else 
you know, like maybe overposting to compensate for the fact that you can't say that you're, you know, doing a gig or whatever. Um, just kind of sort of refining what persona you want to put forward in, in, in the, I don't know if persona would be the right, I guess so. Um, but yeah, learning about trying to maximize the reachability of that without obviously being overbearing which kind of goes into the thing that Janelle was saying about live streams because after a certain point everyone and everyone's grandma was doing one so <laughs> was everyone's grandmother doing it my grandmother wasn't I can tell you now but fair enough um yeah you're so right and I feel like it's it's very important when we when we talk about these ideas, especially when it comes to marketing the bands, when we look at like certain buzzwords which don't really sit well with like the alternative scene, like persona and stuff, you can't really escape those ideas. Um, so I think the trick is to really understand what your persona actually truly is and know how to communicate it in a way which you're happiest with. Um, but yeah, um, I do believe we have other people in the room who have not yet said anything about this first question. Um, do they want to say anything? I feel like it's also been um, quite interesting to see artists sort of um, take uh, steps in different direct. I mean, I don't know if how constructive it is, but I think it surely was effective in, in a way of um, uh, reaching a bigger audience. So I, I liked seeing artists bigger and smaller, like friends of mine collaborating. It's been quite awesome to see, quite, you know, unique projects that maybe otherwise wouldn't have have happened due to you know everyone's schedules and bands want to focus solely solely on their stuff but like through uh through the pandemic like i personally collaborated with loads like our band we've collaborated with birdie's baby and we'll do you know we'll do things trying um bands will keep i think you know it's a good way to cross over your audiences it's um, an interesting thing for fans to see like a bit of a different side to you. And I think it's just been like pretty cool seeing that across. Um, I've seen quite a lot of a lot of it and I thought it was interesting in um, particularly, yeah, like just engaging more people in what you do and what you um, how you are willing to sort of open your possibilities during this time and you know, do things you maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Sure, I'm, I'm aware as well that you're part of the London scene, but also the LA scene. Have you seen any correlation between those two different grassroots um, industries? Um, yes, I guess, interestingly enough, I mean, musicians are so similar. Like that's what I've learned over being a part of two uh, separate uh, sort of music scenes is it is, we all have, that in common and I think what I've um, been lucky enough to witness in my friends uh, is this like amazing resilience I feel like a lot of my musician friends have shown and they were like you know what everything around us sucks like but no no one's gonna take um, what we do from us at least not yet <laughs> we're gonna you know fight for what we can do and I think it's been uh, in both scenes I think I've seen again so much um, so much collaboration and like uh, people, what I actually really liked as well, a lot of my friends were offering um, sort of free advice type things or exchange of skills. That's what I saw and I actually thought was really, really cool. I saw a few of my friends post on social media, like 
let's do exchange of skills. Like I'll give you an hour guitar class and um, I would happily, you know, like learn more about Pro Tools and things like this. Like people were just trying to sort of stay connected, get more skills. I feel like a lot of us, as soon as this started was like, I was, I definitely wanted to, you know, like perfect certain skills or take on new stuff. So in this sense, um, I feel like musicians have shown a lot of, um, like adaptability and wanting to just keep doing what we can uh and in both those music scenes yeah i feel like that general is a sort of sense of we just have to keep working and find ways like the girls have mentioned as well um of just utilizing whatever resources we have at hand and um trying to, you know kind of trying to make them work regardless of uh the circumstances so I think that was definitely cool to sort of see uh, happen in the, and I'm particularly talking about uh, like independent bands, artists, um, musicians. Yeah, it was really, really interesting to witness that and still be seeing that. And we're still all kind of evolving and finding new ways to stay relevant, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. very, very well put points there. Uh, Matt, you were going to say something else. Yeah, no, I, I mean, first of all, I just want to say it's a fantastic point about um, that I wasn't that aware of about the, uh, what I think one of the, the best takeaways from the pandemic has been, which is the concept of mutual aid, you know, and this idea that, you know, musicians will directly collab and do this kind of barter type trading of skills, which is fantastic for growing community. Um is a really wonderful sort of takeaway. And it kind of comes around to the other thing that I was going to say with regard to this, which is that the pandemic has, in a way, I feel like been kind of a, a trash media and communications course for the entire music industry. You know, like suddenly everyone's got to be media savvy because, you know, I've had friends who've made it because they gigged three times a week every week of the year and they just through hard graft, made it into, you know, the public domain. But we're now in a situation where it's simply not good enough anymore. Not, not for the moment, at least. Maybe one day, but right now, you, you just can't. Sure, sure. There's quite a bit to be said on that. And I think we'll definitely come back to it in a more relevant question later on in terms of community and its power. Um, Al, do you have anything to say on that first question before we move on? Um, yes, I think that, um, um, again, you know, because of what I do, I tend to see things with sort of like broad um, lights in a way. And uh, um, I always say there are three big branch of uh, musicians, mainly sort of like urban hip hop, electronic music and alternative. And then whether it's rock, punk and everything is the same thing, is kind of a behavior. And uh, um, now I see finally sort of um, alternative bands, and sorry for the word alternative, just to oh, yeah. use it as a container, like bands, guitar bands and everything. Finally, they're starting to sort of like approach social media, um, it's, which, is, which is great, but it's very important that they stick to it and they use this opportunity to really dig into it. Because in the last decade, right, uh, there has been sort of like entire genre that completely 
occupied a particular platform. You know, I'm thinking about the connection between Vaporwave and, uh, and the SoundCloud. We're talking about gigantic numbers. So these people, did, they went in with love towards platforms and social media, whether it's Instagram or whatever, and they just took over and created these gigantic communities. And the numbers are astronomical. They're just astronomical. And unfortunately, sort of like alternative music more or less just watched. Now, um, when I'm saying just watched, I know that you could pick up any example of any band that is huge, whether it's on YouTube and everything, but as usual, it's sort of like, unfortunately, alternative music moves in a sort of like, kind of like uh, wild dogs in different direction. There isn't a sense of community. There isn't because the, you know, unfortunately alternative music is, is kind of still have that kind of like, we are the band, you are the fans. With other genre, you can't really, is a blur, you know, between, you know, the DJ, the, 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 the fan, the producer, the, you can't really, especially in hip hop is almost nothing, you know, the difference. Now, unfortunately alternative music carries that. So they don't think as a pack, right? And you need to be a pack to actually go and change a platform like, uh, again, like uh, lo-fi hip-hop did with SoundClouds, getting, you know, you know kids that had you know, millions of, of, of views and everything. Uh, I'm talking about millions, like tens or hundred millions without being signed, you know, without even selling music because it didn't give a shit. Uh, so that's what alternative music should do now. You know, this is the opportunity to actually say, okay, what do we want to do? As, as a group, you know, what, what do we like, even like, you know, and decide, for example, that you don't like YouTube and you decide to attack another platform. Now, this is not something that you decide together. It's just sort of like a question of number. It's kind of like brute force that comes with experiment and everything. And now you are forced to experiment. So I really hope that in the next six months or a year or two, suddenly find out that there is a place for alternative music that just bends the platform, whatever that is, maybe it's a new one. It can be, there's so many, uh, Matt, you know, so many of them from Discord to whatever. You know I mean? It's really, is about sort of like brute force, right? But going in, in separate direction without having a sort of like an idea, it's, it doesn't, doesn't get you anywhere, but you will. You will because now you have to, you know, that's, that's the difference. Yeah, there's a whole video in some of the stuff that you've said there, because prior to, say, 2015, I'd say that ultimately my experience of, like, say, alternative, for want of a better word, music, it was very much like different pockets of people of course, yeah. working quite individually. Yeah. Um, but from what you talk about um, in regards to other scenes, particularly hip hop, that whole blur between the audience and the performer is just, it's, it's you know, it's, it's not really an issue. Like it's, it's very much, people can come and go in a certain way. But yeah, there are a few notable exceptions. I mean, what you do, what Josh Cooper does, there's quite a few exceptions, but yeah, it's, it's the bit. I wouldn't call him exception, you know, unfortunately I'm, I'm forced to look at the numbers, you know, and if I look at the label, uh, that does alternative music and a label that does hip hop in terms of sale on Bandcamp and everything is just. Well, to be continued, because I'm not necessarily talking about sales, but that is a hot potato and we will return uh... to the hot potato in the future. For now, we're dicing up a whole different meal with this next question. Um, do you have any thoughts or conclusions on PRS backing down 
on their live stream tariff anyone um yeah <laughs> i when i finally read that i was definitely relieved um when i first read that they they decided to put these tariffs on on these live stream it was the like uh, we were already all on the ground trying to survive and pr has just kicked us in the teeth just like here we go you're already on the ground and here we go that's for you um why 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 did they even think this could have been a, a thing and that we were going to be like yeah sure makes sense no it does not <laughs> to even think about it like understand the royalties side of things but this situation this pandemic is the first time we see something like this it's the first time we are not allowed legally to perform our job we are not legally allowed to work and we have without any kind of help from the government in guidance i'm talking about uh, putting aside money that some of us can actually have not all of us we have no guidance to how are we going to make this how what are we going to do with our times can we can we do a different way? We found our ways ourselves. We all come up with our own solution that we all listed just before. And Pierre is, which is a company that exists for us, because of us, is trying to steal that those little crumbs that we are getting from this. They want to steal that from us for royalties reason that we probably will never see anyway. Because those the, the ones of us who are doing most of those live stream we don't have such of a big income from royalties anyway. Most of us can't even afford to actually sign up with PRS because it costs a hundred pounds, I think, a year. Yeah, um, it's it's so um, quite quite actually quite poignant and timely that you bring up this perspective regarding that conclusion, especially with what Al was saying before, because arguably before the pandemic, how would this situation have played out? Yeah, where people, um, I think people are much more vocal now because they know that there's a certain power within community. And it's a shame that it's only become something that they can truly draw upon because they have to actually, you know, work with each other. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so much to be said in this. Anyone else have anything to say on this? Um, it's hot potato. They're all hot potatoes today, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, from a from the perspective of someone who's never been PRS registered, never had the budget for it or anything, I I find it very interesting to hear that perspective because to me, it makes me think a bit of some of these really big monolithic um, nonprofit entities that are designed to help a specific subsector of society, but they also have their own bills to pay and, and maintenance costs for a, a large monolithic organization. And I wonder whether that's a big part of the reason for raising the tariffs so high in the first place, because PRS has to pay themselves before they pay the musicians that they've created themselves for. Yeah, this was brought up in um, a video, the Independent Music uh, Week video that I was uh, scrabbling around on in the comments and we were all basically just like commenting on it. But essentially, and I'll put a link to that video in the description of this one, but everyone was kicking off. But what was really powerful is that the promoters were, I mean, it started off with a guy called Dave who said, I'm basically not going to pay the tariff. And then we all started saying in the comments that no one should pay it. And then it was like, what, maybe two days later, 
but PRS said, we're actually not going to do it anymore. Like you could see the fear, <laughs> like you don't do this in independent music week, let alone any other time outside of a pandemic. It may have been able to slip under the radar, like so many other things that they have um, not been you know, questioned about. And that's simply because there's been less of a sense of community. And that's only really happened because everyone now can see what happens once music is um, uh, curtailed in this way. Um, does anybody from, say, Jen, have anything to say about this? I was going to say, actually, because thinking about it, I, I can't help but wonder if the fact that, because even though live streams were a thing, you know, before, before COVID was a thing, but I feel like that was the point when uh, sort of PRS or sort of realized that it was a... I, don't want to say a viable sense of income because obviously there's only so much you can get but at the same time that it's you know something and, and since it's the you know like the main thing musicians are doing it would be like you know hmm let me get let me get a piece of that why not and you know even though the you know Matt did make the point that they do have their own bills to pay which you know which is uh, valid in itself though um as a I think Additionally, they, you know, people are also streaming more, for example, which is something that's, no, I'm not sure PRS do streaming actually, but, you know, people are listening to the radio more. Um, and that's, you know, basically, and although and at the same time, they do also do, um, you know, like the, the rights from gigging, which they did lose. So there's a bit of obviously, but then at the same time, you also consider that PRS are, you know, more, um, they're on more stable ground than an individual musician would be, you know, someone who say they were getting all their money from gigging um, the, and then they lose it. And, um, and then, you know, they find one thing and they suddenly get a, you know, they, that kick in the teeth being like, give me, I, I want my 45 pounds or you don't get anything. Um, but yeah, the I think the sort of togetherness that's been showing up um, more more so lately than um, before and in this that did probably make a massive difference in PRS backing down on that. So I think that's um, pretty big. Sure, sure. Anyone else? Can I add that I, I just think it's also interesting. Obviously, all backlash. Um, and the way they managed to sort of take it um, back. And I think they've introduced, I just read a little bit about it, but they've introduced certain like limits to how much a stream is gonna generate and um, provide, like, provide people with opportunity for the free license and things like that. And that again shows that really they weren't thinking about financially disadvantaged artists, you know, independent artists, they could have easily implemented those when they, you know, when they were, well, firstly, they probably should have sort of proposed it somehow, because that was, I think, a big scandal too, is how it wasn't really um, negotiated. Uh, it wasn't really introduced as a proposal. It was just like laid on the music scene as something to deal with. But I feel like the, how they have, sort of handled it post scandal has shown again, like they, it's it, again, the artists that are actually the most in need are the ones that lose the most out of 
things like that put by you know put by companies like um those so it was i think it's interesting it was interesting to see how they've like quickly changed their like conditions you know and because that is possible if your stream generates less than 500 pounds i think that's what it is you can get free lights um and it is yeah, like most people that are streaming right now you know it's um it's uh bands independent bands and it's just been like an interesting yeah way to see how these things um had to, had to finally be adjusted to what to those who've actually been at a disadvantage the most from these sort of rules yeah yeah i mean there are other like organizations like prs it's just that they have the most sway and they do have the power to work like a quasi government and not as you say seek consultation that was one of the main things that we picked up on and i kept on going on about in that in that video and there's a link to it in the description but essentially how can you introduce a law without talking to the people that are going to be uh, expected to uphold it you know it doesn't make sense um but yeah I think we could move on, but I have a suspicion that, Anna, you said there was a lot you had to say. So we may have just like hit some of the iceberg of that. Do you want to say a bit more before we move on? Um, actually, just one, one more thing kind of linked to what Aim just said, um, which is that she, they didn't think about those, those smaller artists who were going to be the ones really suffering from that new law. Um, and, and that how in comparison from them, you have all the, well, all of these, not so many, but you do have those uh, companies such as Bandcamp who are realizing the situation. They are, they are addressing the problem. They're like, okay, we could do something to save the people why that was like, why we exist, we exist for them. They're all struggling, we know, and we want to do something to help. In the meantime, they also, as we mentioned, they also have to make sure they can survive too um, by doing like Bandcamp Friday. I think this is amazing. This is this kind of opportunities and, and show that they care and they're trying to make it slightly easier and better. And yeah. there is failed to do. They, they could have implemented or at least as you said, discussed it, but also showing that they know, okay, but those, those guys though, maybe we'll, do, we'll have to, to see how far we go with this slow and, and, um, and, and try to make it work for the ones who, who might not necessarily make it work. Um, and who are struggling, they are trying their best, um, and they completely feel that. There's something to be said about how PRS began and who runs it now, and how Bandcamp, relatively new, began and who is still running it. You know, their needs and their um, queries and their way of being is going to speak volumes about what it is that brand represents, uh, let alone how it can be useful for the community that it's, you know, purporting to support. Um, Jen, I'm very aware that you haven't said anything about this particular subject and do you want mm -hmm. to say anything before I move on? Um, to be honest, I think um, it, everything kind of was mentioned, but I was actually thinking when you were mentioning kind of a monolithic institute, I mean it's the same issue with streaming platforms like Spotify. I mean, they did a half-ass job with, you know, adding the whole PayPal link, like, so that people can donate, but actually, you know, not like uh, the, you know, the there wasn't any institutional change. Like, so it's kind of the same thing in it. Like, the rich keep getting richer and, you know, the artists keep on struggling, I guess. And yeah. this whole COVID situation has amplified that whole you know kind of class in a way so 
Sure, sure. This, this PayPal thing appearing on Spotify is like, well, this is where you see something is wrong when you need the nation on the streaming platform to support the artists that you're currently streaming on the same platform. Yep. It's, it's very inconsiderate. It's like, why don't you maybe pay the artists more? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> then nobody would need to donate. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it really feels like the the artist is being expected to follow the similar route of your average YouTube or whatever content creator of Patreons and donations and this and that and the other, which is a valid way of making money, but it's a really great way of stepping out of the problem. As somebody who could do something about it, be like, yep, you go and make it for yourself. We're just going to stand over here and <laughs> continue raking it in anyway. Did everyone see that article with um, Gary Newman talking about how he made about £37 out of uh, a streaming that he did? And everyone kind of, well, Facebook being what it is, but people thought that Gary Newman was trying to be greedy, saying, hey, you know, I'm Gary Newman, I'm supposed to get more money out of this. When really what he's saying, if you look at it, is that artists who don't have millions of streams are getting a lot less from Spotify. And obviously, this is something that we've all known, but I feel that that kind of a story is getting more traction the more we go further into this pandemic, because it makes it, it more prevalent that we not really just question these things after a nine to five job or whatever was come home to, we, we get to really try and organize ourselves and try and motivate some change out of it. But anyone else read the article? I don't know. No? Okay. Well, um, I guess it's another link for me to post. In yeah, case, um, I've read the other one where like the, the head of Spotify, like the, the founder was like, well, you should create more content. Like that was his reasoning. <laughs> I guess kind of music is seen as like a disposable kind of con like, you know, the whole content thing, like posting a photo on Instagram kind of thing. Rather well, than being respected is, nowadays, Spotify is a social media. I mean, it's actually yeah. is it's got is much 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 more similar to uh, Instagram than uh, SoundCloud is. Uh, this, it, the model is completely different. It is first of all, it's a radio, you know. So in a way, it pays, plays, right? Yeah, nobody buys your mm -hmm. music, and that's something that we should remember. Um, that doesn't mean that they don't have to pay more, but you know nobody's actually buying your music; they're just listening. It could be a radio, uh, so obviously you need a lot of play. Second thing is that that model is based on advertising, not on music, right? So Bandcamp is based on music, SoundCloud is, uh, Spotify is definitely based on advertising. And the third thing is that. Um, is that unless you see it as a social media and use it as a social media, you, you miss the trick. Because uh, there's a lot that can be done on, on Spotify. I, you know, I, as I said, I, I hated it and I always did. And uh, exactly because of that, because I knew it was basically, you know, bankrupting uh, musics, uh, musicians. But, um, but it's there, right? And uh, there's, the model is going to be replicated uh, and probably improved. You know, imagine if somebody could do, hey, we are Spotify, but we pay you more. That would be a winner. So there are, there are spaces. This is just temporary. You know, you know, I mean, you remember MySpace. You never know, man. Spotify could disappear. In America, it's almost irrelevant, Spotify. You know what I mean? It means nothing. You know, it's, it's a European company. I mean, it's there, but it's not a big deal as it's for us. 
So um, uh, again, always, always, we need to understand these beasts, how they operate and everything to our own advantage, you know, and understand that uh, Spotify is a mixture of a promoting tool mixed with a bit of radio, something like that. Until things change, you know, we can sit and moan and everything, but what can we do with Spotify? I mean, it's a lot, a lot can be done with Spotify and accept it for what it is. It's, you know, it's basically it's a marketing tool that gives you a little bit back. This is what it is at the stage. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, that's hardcore. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but it's true. But it's true, you know. But, uh, no, it's, that's why you're here. You, you just say it as it is. Um, I really yeah, I do. definitely at some point want to go back to your earlier points, probably in the next part of this video that we'll record later on. So but can... anyway, before I forget, if any of you is actually after uh, uh, consistent numbers of whatever, right, uh, you need to do what the platform wants you to do. And at the moment, the 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 best um, kind of post is uh, Reels on Instagram, even better than TikTok. Uh, so you, it, you, 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 you can go skyrocket. You know, if you do it at the right time, we're talking about five, 10,000 views and everything like that. If your music is also on Instagram, which is likely if you are with DistroKid, uh, CD Baby and stuff like that, you can hook up your own track and actually, you know, same thing, kind of getting paid a little bit to play your own music. But uh, do reels. I see a lot of bands that have done, and labels, uh, they've done zero reels and everything. And uh, basically, Instagram is begging you to do reels, right? And doesn't care about your posts. They don't care anymore. Uh, so that's it. So um, you got to go there, you know, if you want to see some numbers. But it's satisfying, you know, to know that, you know, I know it's, it's a little thing, you know, but to see actually that you can actually expand your audience even digitally and uh, see, you know, for zero, things like that. It's, it's good. So go on reels. Brilliant. Um, I definitely want to like um, probe all of you for all your different like uh, tidbits of information for helping yourself and bands in this time. So thank you for kicking that off. Alex. That's great. Um, I want to ask this, is there a higher sense of community within grassroots circles? And if so, would it survive once live music returns in its past form? Um, I can I can answer this one. I think um, well, I do believe, and I, I mean that is an amazing thing. I feel like independent bands and artists um, have is is the sense of community you built uh, through the first stages of your career. I feel like that is you know that is your family. That's your Try these people you have opened for, who have opened for you, people you have shared your agent contacts with and things like that. I feel like at the early stages and, you know, hopefully throughout the career for, um, I hope for many artists, I hope so for myself and our band with Anna, that, um, you know, the, the sense of community you built at the start is um, is fundamental I think to any band you cannot just be a band and worry about yourself and what you're doing I feel like it's amazing to also feel a part of a scene feel a part of a community and I feel like um, that has that's been you know obviously building for so many years for so many bands and you know again uh, talking about COVID now all of it is shut and, I, and a lot of bands lost that sense of you know connection to each other uh, the venues 
the, 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 ven the suffering the venues have to endure right now, independent venues is, is crazy, you know, they're not, um, a lot of them survive literally month to month in general, if they're not owned by huge, um, huge corporations, but it's, uh, it's been quite, I think, quite sad to see. I've personally, um, you know, seen news of the news I've played at having to shut down and it's just, you know, it's a huge part of, Oh, I think I think everything is a little bit sentimental to musicians. I I, th I think a lot of you would agree. You would be like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you know this is the stage. This happened. This is the stage. My first show with this band happened." And there's so much sentimental value musicians have um, in the music venues, and um, and I feel like the the community that it brings because that's where where where's the meeting point for bands. It's the venues, right? It's uh, mostly it's where you see each other. Uh, so it did build an amazing sense of community, which I hope is gonna, you know, survive through this. Um, and especially, yeah, like um, like I said, uh, being a part of LA music scene as well. Like I'm pretty big on the jam scene, which is a great family. And there's it literally like you know some venues feel like home to you. You go there and you know you're you're amongst friends, you're in a safe space, you are, um, you respect every single person there. And um, so I feel like it's already, it has um, over the years, I believe the community that these venues have built around them. I mean, obviously there's decades, right? There's decades of certain eras, you know, people leave the scene, but there's always like a family attached, I think, to a venue attached to that city's music scene or something. So I think, uh, again, seeing how 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 resilient musicians have been, and even some venues, you know, and there's been loads of crowdfunding as well to save the venues. There's been a lot of um, uh, charity initiatives to you know to try to um, help save uh, independent venues. So I feel like. Again, I mean, there's hope because um, I feel like musicians have built an amazing sense of community, not built, they've always had, and then they, you know, are able to stay connected. But um, yeah, of course, it, I mean, uh, they, the numbers show now that I think 90% of music venues, independent music venues are gonna be not, are not gonna be able to survive this, which is absolutely heartbreaking because it's also, these are the kind of venues that also offer all up and coming bands, their first step, you know, these are the kind of venues that let bands get on that stage, that let bands introduce themselves to the public. And with these, because, you know, obviously huge venues will survive and they're backed by huge companies, but it's those small venues that are so, that are so fundamental in any musician's career. It's where you start, you know, so it's going to, honestly change a lot for independence scene again you know if those are going to be gone where are people gonna where are musicians gonna have their first um show so it's kind of it's not like you're gonna have like your first gig at the o2 do you know what i mean it's like yeah, i remember my first gig supporting like i don't know jay-z like that's not gonna happen you know so it's ridiculous it's ridiculous yeah it's it's absolutely it's yeah it's kind of Kind of looking a little bit grim <laughs> now as I'm talking about it. I'm like, oh gosh, what's going to well, happen? But as it is, does anyone yeah. else have anything to say about that particular um, point of view? Well, 
Well, yeah, I think uh, kind of uh, just the same way in a way that um, I I think at least I really, really hope that we're going to keep this sense of community for two reasons. First of all, because, well, as you mentioned earlier, we saw that, you know, with PRS, for example, this sense of community, we can change things. We can, you know, stop some stuff that we might have just not really had the energy to fight for before. Um, and we can see that it, it, it does make a change. Eventually, we might have to fight more for some stuff than others. But this sense of community is the reason why most of us are still doing music, even though it's been a very, very long year. Um, and then the second thing is um, exactly with, with all the venues going, but not only that, this, that's a very key point of the industry that might necessarily not be like in, in the light. They're more like things that work in, in the shadows that are currently disappearing without us even knowing, just very silently. Um, and that means that when things do come back, um, the industry is going to be all affected and we just don't even know how much yet, and especially for the up and coming band. And so I truly believe that we're going to need <laughs> this community and this help from everyone who are still there, because it's not going to be a healthy, um, you know, a healthy industry for a while and we're going to have to rebuild it. Um, I worked for a company like um, it was Bell Percussion and he, we used to hire percussion, sell, and we had studios, uh, rehearsal studios, um, but like the hire company, they, they hired percussion for all the orchestras of the country. Uh, most of sound tracks, for example, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all of these, uh, um, Abbey Roads and Air Studios used our gear. We shut, we closed, we were closed since um, uh, December. So, they will not, not be any gear to hire anymore. There's, they are tour vans company closed. Most of the other hire company are about to close. So there will not be any gear, any backline. Um, most of sound engineers have left. So it's not just the venues, there's so many things that usually actually work more in the shadows that are gone. So we're gonna definitely need all the help we can get to rebuild it once we can. Sure, yeah, in the second part of this video, I, I definitely intend to talk about the different people that you talk about working in the shadows, because it's not just musicians, you've got DJs, you've got photographers, you've got directors, there's all sorts of um, different um, aspects of this that's been affected. And I don't know if you guys get pissed off about it, but every now and again, like the government, but they don't do it now, because I think they know they can't do it, but every now and again, the government will try and put out a success story about a certain kind of venue, which, as much as I love classical music, that is just one aspect of the live music industry. And as much as I appreciate theater, that is one aspect of the entertainment industry. Whereas when it comes to grassroots venues, there has seemed to be a lot more effort that's had to be put into getting the government to see us, you know? Um, but any particular viewpoint on that um, uh, rant that I've just had there or that question is very welcome there. I mean, I, I've got a, a very strong opinion in this area, actually, because I've had quite a lot of involvement with it. I'm going to sort of um, start off with a little bit of pre-roll on, isn't it very interesting how much stock the UK specifically has put in their music industry? Like, we won the 2012 Games partially off the back of the UK's part in the global music scene. It was a huge part of all of the promotions and the opening ceremony and everything. And yet, you know, under the leadership of the guy who like spearheaded that, like Boris, 
we've seen it just absolutely tank. And we really, I think it's, it's so important, this sense of community that we've developed. We need to hang on to it. And not only that, but we need to have long fucking memories because this goes from way, way before the pandemic. Back in, uh, oh God, I think it was 2015, uh, a really great music venue on uh, Tin Pan Alley, otherwise known as Denmark Street, got shut down, the 12 bar. Um, and I was an active part of the occupation that uh, took over the, the 12 bar after they closed their doors for good. Um, and we actually played the final night of music before the police came along and kicked the doors in to reclaim the, the building. Um, like, and I think these kind of actions, these, this anger about the loss of spaces to play, we need to hold on to that and we need to reclaim spaces. However, that's going to be, if it has to be pseudo legally, I don't see grassroots music having an extended lifespan if we cannot have spaces to play in. And the government, as far as I know, is not interested in helping us do that. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this on the video that we first did together. There'll be a link for that at the end of this one if you're watching it on YouTube. Um, I'm so aware that we're running out of time, but does anyone else have anything to say on that particular point before we move on to more fornia and just as relevant issues? I mean, what Matt mentioned kind of uh, reminded me of what happened in our home country of Malta. Uh, where venues started shutting down and you immediately realize that young people like teenagers are now kind of not forming bands. I mean, that makes you think, in it? Because if there, there aren't any spaces where you can actually go and see a band and get inspired, like, you know, that whole kind of scene just dies out, basically, which is part of the reason we have to move to another country, because... There aren't any opportunities over there because like big corporations are taking over these spaces just because, you know, of money and corruption and shit like that. So, yeah, it's a very real thing that can happen on me, Liam, and I have seen it firsthand. Like there are like a max of five venues left um, in the whole country, which is crazy. Um, so... And I don't know if they're going to survive this pandemic, so they'll be zero by the end of it, probably. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I, I was aware of in regarding you moving over here um, with your band. Is there like more that could be done? Like, I mean, you must see what's going on here and obviously think of back home, um, you know, Oh God, I have more to ask in the relevant question soon, but it's just it's hit me quite heavily there. Um, we have to move on. Um, mm -hmm. I guess this is that question. What advice, if any, would you give to musicians who feel disconnected from any particular scene or social network? Um... Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got quite a unique perspective, I think, in this group as we were chatting before we started, because I am not a full-time musician. I'm a full-time web developer. I work nine to five, and then whatever I put into the band happens around that. So I have worked in isolation for quite a long time. I haven't really had a sense of community in the way that some musicians do who have a, um, a you know, they work part-time, they can put more time into their music. I, I haven't had the, the luxury of that. Um, and so in a way, the pandemic really helped me reanalyze that position. Um, and the biggest piece of advice I think I can give is sort of 
especially if you have a body of music already, sit in your head for a little bit and have a good think about what is it. It's it's a very kind of hippie sounding kind of thing to say, but like, who are you as a musician? Like, I think it really is a very helpful question to ask yourself and think when I write music, when I perform, when I put lyrics to paper, what am I trying to say? Because if you know what that is, then you can share that with other people, not just through your music, but through everything else you do. And, you know, as somebody who worked in a branding agency, so I've had a lot of exposure to the idea of branding communications, like the understanding how you message yourself really is key, especially when the only way to do that is online and through online communities. And kind of second to that is once you know who you are, you can kind of better identify who the communities who are your allies are as well. And that is really kind of where you start to be able to find community when you're sort of outside of the world of full-time musicianship. You, you need that. You need community. Musicians can't exist without it. Yeah, I mean, if that's being a hippie, then bust out my like pair of flares. I'm because when it comes down to it, like even though it's like you're almost sounding like another example, like say you're, you're heading like a rock and roll workshop. Um, I think everyone can run their own workshop if they just like want to really figure out who they are before even like putting pen to paper, picking up the guitar. If you haven't really figured out more of yourself, then what can you really put out there? And yes, you can learn as you go along, but I think you could easily get away with maybe something which is maybe subpar before this type of now quite intense analysis about the self. Um, so it can only really help um, musicians really truly express uh, maybe a more worthwhile message for themselves as well as other people. Um, but yeah, anyone else have any particular thoughts on what um, could perhaps be better for, for musicians to know, those who are disconnected? I mean, I guess kind of personally, I mean, um, I always feel like I'm an outsider, if that makes sense. I mean, because especially, I mean, I need to give a bit of background because um like i start i started out like in this whole industry or whatever it is when i was 13 so being a 13 year old girl on stage i always felt like an outsider in a very male saturated industry but personally i guess like online communities really helped me like i don't know the afghan for example um and communities like that you know which help you kind of connect with people who have a similar mindset from you know different parts of the world i think communities nowadays have been translated online partly because of covid and partly because of the digital era we're living in so i think as a musician you shouldn't kind of limit yourself to physical communities or a particular scene especially if you feel that you're not welcome in that particular scene for example so i don't know if i make sense but that's my experience at least yeah um i was gonna say sort of um tied in a little bit to this i feel like a key thing to aim for anyways to try and kind of even if you are still at the stage where you're a little isolated, um, do what you can to sort of put out um, who you are as a musician 
um you know at, at this point through social media whatever like because you will find your people and <laughs> and it will make a difference like as an example um this january i did the one riff a day competition which is run by she she shreds media which is it's it's it was intense it was like um you know basically playing or writing a riff for the whole every day of the month um but through that um I got to, you, you know, like in that short period of time, I got to find so many cool, especially like um, female and non-binary musicians just on Instagram doing their own thing, um, you know, because we're all, we were all in this little community and there was even someone that, because there was a, a bingo sheet as sort of like sub challenges when someone used a riff I posted as a means to improvise over and just, you know, like... Um, <sighs> Yeah, my point is just um, sort of if you know where to, you, again, if you just put yourself out there as authentically as you can, you're going to find that so, somewhere or another, you're going to find like-minded people that, uh, and, you know, um, if if they are the right people, you could even sort of potentially help bring each other up within these trying times because <laughs> these these uncertain times, as the ads say, because... Um, I feel like if nothing else, this whole pandemic has probably been the most unifying thing that we've all experienced as musicians, because, um, you know, like every every path as a creative, even outside music, it's there's no one hard and fast way to go about it. You know, some people gig so hard that they get the name out some people do it through youtube some people do it you know through behind the scenes but they've got like really well put together you know well produced tracks that they did in their bedroom but this you know being stuck at home being unable to do certain things is affecting all of us to some extent which in a way ties to the last question and i think the element of why we've unified so much um but yeah, I think find find your people is the short version of that answer. Cool. Um, I feel that Al, you've got so much to say on like so many different topics, but this is definitely one for you. Give us your knowledge, save us. What should we do? Uh, it's, I, I think for bands, uh, uh, Matt knows that is brute force. Basically you need to uh, attack all social media and find out where you need to tap in. You can't expect to say, okay, I'm going to find, uh, I'm going to do a post or whatever and expect results. You know, it's hard work, you know, either you become your own marketing department or you get a marketing department, simple as that, and then accept that uh, it's it's like anything else. It's like learning guitar and so on. I mean, I'm a musician myself and I've been a musician since I'm 14. It's not, it's, it's. It's, it's what it is today, you know, I've, my activity, I've done most of my records in the 90s doing electronic music, techno music, and that was all down to communities and everything. We were having a ball, we were doing, making money and everything, now that period is past. Now we've got this thing, you know, which is digital, the digital world, that's it, you know, either you use it or you don't, there's nothing in between, you know, and if you do, you really have to learn it, you know, in a way or another, that's, that's that's what we have to do. I understand where to go, what to do, and the best way to do it is to sort of like attack all of them at the same time because you don't know where you're going to be more effective. You know, you don't know. 
So the first um, the first month is pretty hard, you know, because you've got to be present everywhere, understand how everything works. And then you, after a while, you can say, you know what, this is where I live, you know, that's where I find my people mainly. And so this is where I'm going to put more attention to. Uh, that's that's it, you know, and really understand all these social platforms, you know, especially TikTok, which is really underestimated. Uh, lots of stuff is happening there, but unfortunately, until you use it, you get bombarded by the kind of obnoxious, obnoxious kind of like people dancing on m- mainstream tracks and everything. But if you know, like for example, I've been using I've been using. Uh, TikTok for for month and month and if I say okay I want a thousand users in a month followers that can be done with Instagram it cannot be done anymore you have to understand that Instagram and Facebook are basically dead they're just business okay they're dead there's nothing more than you can do that's why I moved to TikTok because TikTok basically you can grow right now there is a small, small opportunity to go back to Instagram, as I said before, with Reels, because Reels is trying to fight on TikTok. So they are crying, please come back, come back. You know, we give you as much numbers as you want. You don't have to pay anything. So use Reels because it's the last kind of tool that Instagram uh, is offering. Uh, All the rest is dead. Otherwise, TikTok, and that's it. And then there is, of course, all the other ones. But you, you don't know, there is Twitch, you know, it's fantastic, it's huge. Uh, and uh, and as we talk, there is Clubhouse, which is going to explode in the next month and everything. And all this, you need to understand where to go so that you can multiply your numbers. Because if you go and expect to have, to play the game of YouTube and Facebook or Instagram 10 years after you could do it, you, you just hit a brick wall. Okay? simple as that so you really have to know all these things you know i know where to what to touch and where to go you know and you have to do it you know where is soft because facebook is hard as hell and unfortunately like your community in terms of alternative music is there because it's sorry to say it's an older community so it's still stuck there. That shows the delay, the gigantic delay of alternative music compared to other genres that know where to go and where to really boom, explode. And I'm talking about exploding. And unfortunately, until you bump into these numbers and you see what other people are achieving, you, you won't sort of like connect to it. Because I know that, you know, you're looking at me like, well, what is he talking about TikTok? this reels but it's true you know at the end of the day is the final decision it's like who is marketing my music right who is marketing your music you think your music doesn't need marketing fine wait until somebody saves you but otherwise if you really want results and you're eager to get results you need to market your music market your music it's it's it's, you know it doesn't mean i'm not debating now where and what you know and how shitty Spotify is and everything. Marketing is, it's, it's a single world. It's like you need basically to be seen, find out where you can be seen, study where you are more effective. And somebody has to do the hard job, you know, somebody has to say, wow, this is really hard and I'm doing it, you know. And, and if you don't, um, then uh, it's, it's okay. I mean, but, you know, you're not going to 
get, you're not marketing yourself. Simple as that. And marketing is free, isn't it fantastic? You know, like 20 years ago was just, you couldn't do it, just you couldn't. Now you can, so that's the beauty of, of the digital world. So take that, you know, and, uh, and, and really do it. That's my At the risk of um, kind of like changing the game plan and this whole conversation, because I really, I really do think I'm, I'm happy that we're going to do a part two of this in the future because we've kind of run out of time now, which is a shame. Um, I know, Leah, you definitely have something to say about my fifth question. <laughs> um, but I know if we open that Pandora's box, then we won't actually leave. <laughs> this There's a lot to unpack in that one. To unpack with that. <laughs> so what I will say is this, um, especially in light of what Al's just said, because I do know for a fact that Luke from Falseheads has some very different views as to how TikTok works and what bands have to become in order to use it, which is why I'm kind of on the knife says even saying uh, some of this, but I don't want to, to really bring that up all here. Now there will be another part. So now is the time for me to encourage your inner capitalist to come out. <laughs> if anyone's got anything that they basically like released, it can be a single, I don't know. Now is the time to tell people via Vantbox TV where to buy it and what it is, anyone. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna, I actually had a properly like fancily weaved way to make the single we just released relevant to the next question. So <laughs> that will have to happen at some point. But um, Jen have just released a single called Feel, which you can find um, on YouTube, on Spotify, on all, all the stuff that we've talked about today. Um, and I think it's pretty cool. So hopefully you will think it's pretty cool as well. Cool. Yeah, and we're releasing an EP on the 30th of March and it's available too, you know, on our website. Oh, yeah. Jen the band is G-E-N-N, by the way. It, just in case you think I named the band after me, I didn't. <laughs> it means craziness in our native language. Um, so, yeah, so you can check our new stuff out on jandtheband.com. Yeah, and .bandcamp.com. The band and the band. Yeah, we're John the, Jan the band on all social media platforms. <laughs> John That's the band's a different one. That's our elevator pitch. Thank you. Plugging over. Yeah. The succinct elevator pitch. I am a fan anyway. I'll make sure that your links are in this video description. Um, I have to give a shout out to Lou Smith, um, who basically he filmed you guys at the Brixton Windmill. And if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't really know anything about you. And it's his birthday the yeah. other day. Yes, so, happy birthday, Lou. In a distant time when things used to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, Once upon a time. <laughs> we have um, two members from Dorja here. And I think it's time for them to sell their stuff. Dorja, what's going on? Uh, well, we actually are also really, really excited to have um, quite a... Um, an exciting release. We have managed to record an EP uh, throughout this, these turbulent times, uh, but we were really, really lucky. We're actually double lucky because we managed to play a full successful tour like a week before the pandemic <laughs> hit. So all in all, we were just discussing the other day that 2020 actually wasn't that bad for us because we managed to tour and we're also um, releasing an EP, which is quite exciting. It's uh, with our new lineup. Um, Oli uh, is uh, uh, 
the bass player on it and a producer. And we've also got Alex, a new joining member of the band this year as well, and Rosie. So we have um, an exciting EP coming out in April and we have started the pre-sales and everything and we are gonna be releasing um, a lot of uh, like exciting content for that release. Game. I think you need help with dates. <laughs> I'm in charge of the April. <laughs> yeah. So we have our first single and music video coming out on the 12th of March called Ghost Town. Then there will be another one called Dust early April. I think it's 2nd of April. And then the 16th of April, the EP called Persephone uh, will come out. And uh, yeah, as I said, those songs have been written, uh, writing, written during this whole pandemic. So it's kind of a dark sound ahead <laughs> um but and quite apocalyptic you know lyrics and and stuff obviously we've been inspired um and uh yeah we were excited about that and we are so dorja and uh, we are dorja band on every platform um and our website is dorjaband.com Awesome. I look forward to checking this out because obviously, um, like full like uh, disclosure, I haven't heard your music, but Ollie is normally on this like video series and he's talked you up after each episode. So it's now time for me to sort my shit out and check it out. <laughs> um, also because Persephone, I mean, isn't that a, a Greek? Um, it, yeah. Yeah. So it's a Greek goddess um, who um, I think she was um, Zeus um daughter and she was like the whole days of like rebirth and, and all that and um she was uh, taken away by Ad uh, Adis in the underworld um like kidnapped and he forced her to marry him so she became the queen of the underworld but once a year she was permitted to go back on earth and that's when things you know as the all rebirth process so spring basically um happens okay well thank you for the little mini kind of like rebirst on like greek mythos there which i i normally pride myself knowing on but i thought from it did she say that word i don't know but yeah sounds cool i want to know more about like like what's going on matt like you're in a band tell us everything stop being so quiet what's going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah embarrassingly the reason i know the name to stephanie is because i've been playing hades a lot recently and she's one of the bosses you fight <laughs> Um, yes, uh, so yeah, I'm Matt, I'm in a band called Hearst Pile Up. Um, we are in the process of releasing an album, which is an assembly, our first full-length album, an assemblage of songs from our entire 10-year uh, career thus far. Uh, we just released a single called We're All Going to Hell at the end of last year, with a music video that we shot collaboratively, crowdsourced during lockdown conditions. Um, and Whilst you're checking that out, uh, we're gearing up for the release of our next single, which is going to have a interactive music video that I'm currently live blogging the development of at the moment. So no release date just yet. It's my first computer game. But one, um, once I have a decent idea of a delivery time, I'll give you a six week window on the uh, release of the single. Wow. There are like fireworks going off in my head, let alone behind my eyes. Thank you for that insane kind of knowledge. Wow. Your own computer game and interactive video. I can barely say the words. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds great. Al, sell some shit. What do you have? He disappeared. He's I think he just left the chat. Oh, yeah. He's that anti-capitalist. He won't. He <laughs> 
Well, I'll do some of it for him. Al is a fantastic guy who runs various different media, most notably public pressure. Um, I will put a link in the description so you can see some of the stuff they do when it comes to, well, giving a voice to people who aren't necessarily part of particular scenes sometimes. You know, he, he really does try and like, you know, push that kind of elements of, well, promoting artists that need that kind of like help. For now, I have to say thank you to everyone for joining us. Thank <laughs> you.